I think uh, Barry said he wanted one. <laughs> well, this morning's message is uh, home for Christmas. And I think earlier when uh, Adrian popped up that question of home traditions that we participate in during Christmas, certainly uh, one of them is where we travel back to visit home, right? To be around family. And probably it's the most popular time during the year for for us to make visits to home or to go see family. Many times we uh, we think about going there throughout the year. You know, we're, we're thinking about maybe it's where we grew up, what we call home, um, where our parents or our family is. In fact, even today, many of our church family is gone visiting family or their hosting family. But as we uh, think about going home, you know, what's in your mind? What's going on in your mind when you think about going home? Um, certainly one of them is we remember the good smells and the food, the taste of the food and get together and eating. And Christmas is certainly one of those times. I think every family has a... Uh, Christmas tradition for what food they're going to eat. And for some, thinking of going home, um, the Christmas traditions is what draws us. And for others, it's just a break from work and school and getting out of town, good time to do it. And when we're going home, we're looking forward to seeing everyone. So in some, home is a powerful draw. Uh, I, I remember being out in the mission field in Africa and India, and, and there's always that draw to home. I know I'm going back home. I can go through this because I know I'm going back home. Uh, just to kind of uh, amplify this point, when Adrian and I met before we were married, I took her to what I considered home, Colorado Springs. And I drove her by all the houses that I lived in there. Um, I showed her where we had skateboarded down this really steep street and made ramps to jump. And, um, I drove her by my elementary school and showed her how far I had to walk. <laughs> and I even drove her by my dentist's office. <laughs> That was the weirdest one. <laughs> <laughs> I had to drive her by where I got my first job. So now, whenever I talked about home or the things I did as a kid, it would have more context because you could visualize it. And I'm sure you too, each of us, have a strong draw to the place and people we call home. You may not live there anymore. But you have memories from there still. They stay with you. You may have set up a new home elsewhere, like Pagosa, Aspen Springs. But those memories still pull on you. You still have those memories. And over time, you will build up new memories of this place. Maybe this, this is the new home. Um, <laughs> Krista, yeah, you're building new memories. <laughs> and so it becomes home. So, you know, home isn't necessarily 
Um, here on Earth, this is the static place. Um, we can relocate and set up a new home, and maybe that becomes our generational home. But for some, the reality is memories of home are painful. They hurt. You have some bad memories. And things didn't work out, so you left and set up home elsewhere. And now, if you were to return to that home, you find things are different than they were when you lived there as a kid. Your contacts and friends have drifted away. Instead of being able to stay with family or friends, you have to get a motel. Things have changed. Well, let's today jump into the story of Joseph and Mary traveling home for Christmas, the first Christmas. Turn with me to Luke 2. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were gone, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him at the inn. This, this census that they're talking about, this registration is a tax census. And taxes and tributes were a very common part of the old world when countries conquered other countries. They would say, you're now under our rule, and you have to give us this amount of money each year to tax or tribute. And that's how a lot of these kingdoms were built. In America, um, we kind of, we don't quite relate to this. Our, our census is all about uh, how many people live in the home and where you live and um, you know, a whole bunch of other questions. And over time, it's gotten really wacko. You know, they do it every 10 years. This last census that was done, I thought it was funny. It was hilarious. I had all kinds of people coming, you know, in one car at a time over different days. Um, one or two people in the car would come in, they'd pull in the driveway, and they'd be having their phone out with a GPS, and, and they're looking for such and such address and such and such street. They can't find it. Somehow they end up here. And uh, I thought it was just funny. They're sending people that are from out of town to come here and do a census in a subdivision where we all know it's kind of hard to find a lot of these streets. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. But contrast it with what we see here in Luke. They're, they're taking a census, and it was mandated by the Romans who were overruling the Jews, is you have to go to your hometown. 
So everybody go back to where you're from, and then we can find you. And we're not going to be double counting you because you have two or three different addresses. Now, you know, it's so crazy here. Last summer, um, a few of us put together this uh, letter to send out to addresses here in Aspen Springs to invite their kids to come to our school. I got back at least a third, probably half of those envelopes, unable to deliver to this address. In other words, half the people in Aspen Springs don't even have a mailbox. I mean, you got to love Aspen Springs. If you want to hide out, this is the place. <laughs> so, um, in those days, taking the census could take quite a bit of time, many months. And uh, the, the ancestral home, having everybody go there and register, made it efficient. Interestingly, only the men had to register. So why did Mary go? Well, each of their genealogy, remember we went through this a few weeks ago, each of their genealogy traces back through David. <laughs> Bethlehem, the house of David, the city of David. And of course, we also imagine she wanted to go home. And even more importantly, prophecy said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So somehow God had to get this couple that was living in a different town to Bethlehem before she delivered and keep her there. Notice after the birth, they were in Bethlehem. They didn't turn around and immediately go back home to Nazareth, which is where they were living before. Instead, they stayed in Bethlehem, and we read where they are now in the house, and that's when the Magi came, the wise men came and visited them. And we can see where they basically had moved back home. So it's going on a couple of years now. You know, they've been home for the very first Christmas. They don't, I don't know if they realize what they're setting in motion by this, uh, Christ, this first Christmas, how things have gone on. But I can assure you that this first Christmas didn't work out the way they had hoped. I can't imagine they left... Nazareth thinking, oh boy, we get to go stay in a, a stable with some animals. <laughs> I think they had different dreams and ideas, but we don't know. They, it didn't work out as they hoped because after a period of time, we read where Herod was chasing down, trying to kill all the baby, children, baby boys. But can you imagine arriving there in town that day, that night, Mary and Joseph, and they're trying to find a place to stay, and they, they go to this inn, and they say, sorry, we're full, there's no room for you here at this inn. And uh, I can just imagine Mary uh, saying what Adrian would have said to me. See, I told you we should have got a reservation. <laughs> But Mary was a trooper. So after the uh, baby was born and they'd gotten set up in the house, the worst imaginable nightmare popped up. Turn with me to Matthew 2. Matthew 2, beginning with verse 19. 
But, but when Herod died, no, that's not yeah. the right one. Well, well, yeah, we, I think I want to be before this. Um, 16. Then Herod, no, I think I want to be even before that. <laughs> verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Matthew 2, verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time that the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child and Mary's mother, with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, which said, out of Egypt I called my son. So while they're staying there in Bethlehem, this sudden change of plans comes up. This, this is... Just a, a horror that most of us cannot imagine. You know, having a newborn and hearing that the king in your town is sending soldiers out to kill the child. And along the way, you hear other baby children getting killed. Uh, just horrendous. So they had a sudden change of plans, which included having to move to another country, leaving in the middle of the night. And if we were to put ourselves there, it's a powerful lesson. And that lesson is when things don't go like we should, they should, or we think they should, and we're asking of God, or we hear from God, okay, this is what we're going to do now. How do we respond? Um, this had to be so far out of their realm of thinking, it took great faith and obedience to say, get up, Mary, we're, good. we're going again, we're leaving. And what about us? You know, we go through life and things aren't occurring like we had planned. Um, I think we could all think back when we're younger and we had these plans and ideas of how our life was going to go, but God redirected them. You may say, how could he redirect them when I wasn't following him? I wasn't asking him. God in heaven is sovereign. And he can work out your circumstances that are happening around you that cause you to make a decision that he's leading you to. By that, that makes sense. You know, 
That's what's happening here. Think about um, the story Kim told with the atheist yeah. buying the groceries. Yeah, exactly. Right? God used them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. God like used his circumstances to get him to do something. And I know it's really hard to understand uh, predestination and sovereignty of God because it's, it's beyond our human capacity. And that is that God knows the end from the beginning and he's directing us to where he wants us to be. Now, Joseph could have said, sorry, I don't like that idea. I'm going to hang out here and I'll shoot the guy when he comes by. But they obeyed what God was doing because they trusted that God had their best in mind. And God has his best in mind for each of us too. And then while they're down in Egypt, they'd heard that Herod had died, so they decided they would return back home. But approaching Bethlehem, they discovered that uh, Herod's son was on the throne, so they bypassed that and went back up to Nazareth. Why Nazareth again? Again, prophecy said that the Messiah would be raised in Nazareth, and he would be from Nazareth. He'd be called a Nazarene. You can't be called a Nazarene if you're not in Nazareth. So we see God is jumping in the middle of this story, pushing it along according to his will, according to his plan. And that happens in our life too. I want to talk about home, another home. And that is heaven. Heaven is, it's not our old home. We didn't come from heaven. It's not a home we've known. You know, none of us have experience of living in heaven. We don't go to heaven and come back and hang out and say, you know, I remember what heaven was like. Um, you know, we won't jump into the near-death experiences discussion at this point. But it's not a, it hasn't been a home that we've known. It's a future home. And even more so, it's our eternal home that God is preparing for us. Jesus said, "When I, my father in his mansion has a lot of rooms, and I'm going there to prepare them for you. So the question is, do you long to go there? Do you want to go there? <coughs> and I hope so. I hope so. Um, so often when Christians die physically, we say that they had a home going, right? Have you heard that expression? Yeah. Um, and so that's why we have celebrations when people pass away that are believers, because we know they're going to their eternal home. It's a great thing. So Christians have always thought of heaven as home. We were singing about earth earlier. But on earth, we always orient towards going home. You know, we have this strong sense of what home is. In fact, some of you may be living right now in a place where you're having a hard time accepting that it's home. It doesn't feel like home to you yet. Maybe you haven't settled in, you haven't adopted it as your home yet. But what is heaven like? Heaven is about comfort. 
It's about comfort. So many of us are struggling through things that are not comfortable in our home. But when we think about going home to heaven, we know it's going to be comfortable. It's going to be where family and friends come to visit. So if you can envision being in heaven, you know, family and friends are going to be around. They're going to come to visit. You'll be able to go visit them. And home is about remembering the good smells and the great food we ate. Not sure how that is going to play out in heaven. Um, But God has such a great plan and a great place stored up for us. I've got to imagine we're going to have some good food. We're going to have good times. Um, Only, In fact, only good things will happen to us in heaven. Think about that. Right now, in our life, bad things happen to us, right? And, and even in the bad things happening to us, God is at work. God's not causing the bad things, but he's taking us through them. We don't have that issue in heaven. We've, we've overcome the world. So only good things will happen. So if you're really struggling with the way things are happening today in your life, just remember, look forward to heaven. You won't have to deal with this. As heaven transitions from the present heaven to the thousand-year kingdom to the new earth, it'll just keep getting better and better. Uh, We'll go from a spiritual existence that has physical elements, in other words, that's the present heaven, to a resurrected earth, the the thousand-year reign, to the new earth. In Revelation 21 and 22, it talks about finishing up this old earth and God creating a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. So we can't even... Imagine or picture exactly what this new earth, the new heaven, and new Jerusalem is going to be like. All we know is it's not going to be exactly like it is now. It's going to be better. This, this, the resurrected earth period, I'm going to call that the thousand year reign, will be like um, how we've always longed to go back and wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we could be in the Garden of Eden? Wouldn't that be special? Wouldn't that be beautiful? And we'll start to get a taste of that. I think when we arrive in uh, heaven and we we get our new room, our new mansion, we'll be in there nesting and setting it up and enjoying it. You know how it is when you first move into your place that first week, you know, you're just setting things up like you want them. Now, here's the other thing. We will be unrushed. We'll be unrushed. Because right now, our frame of reference is about 80 years, right? We've we've got about 80 years to carry out my life, to accomplish things. The closer we get to 80, uh, maybe we start feeling a little shorter squeeze on our time. Um, And then maybe we're blessed. We live beyond 80. But our frame of reference will become eternity. Now think, if if you had eternity, and you're in heaven, and everything's good, 
God is on the throne in front of you. You're not going to feel right. Now that, that's a great home. That's a great home. You won't have that daily clock of having to get things done. Having to get home to cook dinner for your starving husband. You won't be rushed. You'll be walking along streets that are paved with gold. You'll be walking along rivers and you'll see gates and fences and they'll be formed with these jewels, the 12 jewels that are found um, in the Old Testament on the priests. Uh, what, do you, what do you call that thing, CC? The priest? Uh, yeah, F5 maybe? Or Roman. Or, no, it has the stones in it. I'm forgetting the name of that. Yeah, maybe it's breastplate. I thought it was some fancier name. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Um, and you know, we'll be walking along, got all the time in the world, and you might be thinking, well, I wonder, I wonder if I should today, if I should go out of the gates and go out and explore. You got all the time in the world. You know, it doesn't matter if you do it today or the next day. And, and then as we encounter people in our new home, our eternal home, we will know that they will only speak kindness and truth and love to us. Wouldn't that be great not to have arguments? Wouldn't that be great to not hear people cuss you out? Wouldn't that be great not to have fights over who God is? And because he's right there, there's no, there's no questioning who he is anymore. And for many of us, we will be feeling safe and secure. In, in this current world, many suffer from anxiety. Anxiety over the unknown of what's going to happen or what could happen. Fear over what might happen. And that's not to say that it's not a legitimate fear. But in heaven, we're not going to have that. That's our eternal home. What I hope today is to turn your hearts to thinking about your eternal home, your heaven home, and saying, that sounds great. That's where I want to be. That's me. Sign me up. That's my eternal home. That's where I want to be. So, turn with me to John 14. You know, hopefully you're asking the question, you're thinking about, well, okay, sounds great. How do I get there? How do I get there to my eternal home? I put uh, heaven into my GPS and it's not quite showing me the way. <laughs> but I got an answer for you. Don't follow Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> All right, John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's Jesus saying that. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you <coughs> to myself. And where I am, you may be also. So we see one of the, the key features of our heaven home is that Jesus is there with us in person. Four, and you know where the where the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, "Lord, 
we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. <coughs> Remember we were talking about earlier in Hebrews, how God is, the invisible God has revealed himself in the flesh through Jesus. These, these guys have seen Jesus, and they now know about the invisible God. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, how long have I been with you that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. So Jesus came in the flesh as a baby. And he was born in his ancestor's family home there in Bethlehem. As an adult, Jesus returned to home, to his father's house, one where he was yet again full of God's glory. And he will return to get us so that we may be with him there. We sing that in our Christmas song. Jesus is drawing us home. He didn't come to earth in the flesh just so that we could have a good holiday with good food and lots of presents and decorations, beautiful manger scenes and statues of uh, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, he came to save the world. Hallelujah. And to give us a forever home. He's offering us a free forever home. And Jesus said he'll come to collect us to take us there. We got this divine Uber coming to pick us up <laughs> at a particular time. You don't even have to call for it. It's just going to be there. That'll be the first and last Uber I ever take. <laughs> so who are those that he's going to come and get? Who are those that he's going to come and get? These are people that have repented of their sins. Receive Jesus as their Savior. He said, yes, Lord. Those are the ones that he's coming to get. So I would encourage you today to make that commitment to Jesus and receive your forever home. All right. Um, as we close up the message and move to prayer, does anybody have any other thoughts or comments? Kim? Yes. I was thinking about this last week. Um, if I'm right, I'm going to heaven. If the atheist is right, nothing's going to happen. But if I'm right, the atheist is not going to heaven. So, which, it's like a struggle. Um, come to God and know, and, and know these things. Because if I'm wrong, I will still be okay, but if you were wrong, you're not going to be okay. Yeah, that is the uh, naked truth. Yeah, the
Alrighty, well, let's gather around and pray for one another. Oh,